good morning. Happy Easter. Happy Easter, everyone. Um, so Dave did catch me this morning and say you are going to talk a bit about Easter. It'll be in there somewhere. So I want to make sure we start off with the real story of Easter, that the Easter bunny went and, and had chocolate eggs, and then he went to find little baby chicks. Yeah? That's Easter? Is that right? Anything I've missed? Sunday roast? Hot cross buns, hot cross buns. Chocolate, chocolate orange hot cross buns. Oh, I'm not sure about that. So, so that's, that's, that's Easter, yeah? No, that's not Easter, is it? So I'm going to start off reading from John 20, verses 10 to 8. Then the disciples went back to their homes, but Mary stood outside the tomb crying. As she wept, she bent over to look at the, into the tomb and saw two angels in white, seated where Jesus' body had been, one at the head and the other at the foot. They asked her, Woman, why are you crying? They have taken my Lord away, she said, and I don't know where they have put him. At this she turned around and saw Jesus standing there, but she did not realize that it was Jesus. Woman, he said, why are you crying? Who is it that you are looking for? Thinking he was the gardener, she said, Sir, if you have carried him away, tell me where you have put him and I will get him. Jesus said to her, Mary. She turned toward him and cried out in Aramaic, Rabbani, which means teacher. Jesus said, Do not hold on to me, for I have not yet returned to the Father. Go instead to my brothers and tell them, I am returning to my father and your father, to my God and your God. Mary Magdalene went to the disciples with the news. I have seen the Lord, she said, and she told them that he had said these things to her. So this is Jesus and his resurrection. So this is Easter Sunday. This is not chocolate eggs. This is not Easter bunnies. It's not hot cross buns, even the chocolate orange ones. This is... Easter Sunday. This is the day we remember that Jesus rose from the dead. So we've been through Good Friday where we recognize that Jesus died on the cross and he died with the sins of the world on his shoulders to allow us to be free. Today is the day he rose from the dead and breaks the power of death. Death is gone. It's gone. It's nothing. Physical death. Now, I want to make it sure we're really clear here on a few things because we can read this story and it can all sound a bit distant. Um, so, number one, Jesus was the Son of God. Full stop. Jesus was the Son of God. He was sinless. He was totally without sin. So, when he died on the cross, the sin that he took upon him was not his. It was ours. All of ours. Everyone. Whether you're sitting in the room or you're not. So, he had no sin. There was no sin upon him. And he died on the cross to pay the price of our sin. And really importantly, his death wasn't metaphorical, all right? We're not talking about the cross being an analogy or a metaphorical story from the Bible. Jesus physically was put on the cross and physically died. And if that's not true, then we talk about the resurrection. It doesn't make any sense. So when I say he rose again, I mean he rose from the dead, from death to life. It's not an analogy. It's not a metaphor. It's not a story that matches something else. It's the actual truth that happened. He physically died and was put into the tomb. And the reason that this all happened, it's not just a nice story of a great teacher. This was God's plan to save each one of us. 
in this generation, in previous generations, and in future generations. That was the plan for all time. So we got some basic foundations. So we're talking about a resurrection that actually happened. He actually physically rose from being dead to being alive. In the physical sense, he also spiritually broke the power that death and Satan and the devil has on this world. So there was a spiritual resurrection that happened at that point. Now, Jesus wasn't just a little bit dead. All right? Jesus was dead. He's been in the tomb for three days, at least. Now, I don't know how many of you have been around people who have died, but when they die, lots of things happen physically to a body in terms of changing color, in terms of changing the way the skin is, the body begins to decay. He was physically dead. He wasn't just a little bit dead. He was totally dead. All right, death is one of those things which is actually fairly binary. You're either dead or you're alive. You're usually not a little bit dead, <laughs> nor are you usually a little bit alive. You're either dead or you're alive. So he moved from being totally dead to totally alive. Yes. So we are going to, in fact, draw upon some medical things today when we talk about this. So we're going to come back to that statement quite a lot, actually. He wasn't just a little bit dead. He was totally dead. There are a few other examples in the Bible of uh, resurrection from death to life. Uh, there's a story in Luke um, of the son of a widow from Nain, and he has died and Jesus goes and he brings him back to life. So again, it's not an analogy, it's not a metaphor. This boy was dead. And Jesus goes and touches him and he rises and is alive. Then Jairus' daughter is another story that we often come across where he goes to Jesus and says, my, my daughter's died. And Jesus says, oh, she's just sleeping. And the guy must have thought, oh, come on. I can tell she is dead. She's not a little bit dead. She's dead. And Jesus goes in and he heals her. And she moves from being dead to totally alive. She gets up. So in the Bible, we see these stories of people moving from death to life. Not just Jesus, but these other stories. And these are not half measures. These people are not, again, going from a little bit dead to a little bit alive. Or when he's kind of breathing, it will do. They're totally alive. They're getting up. They're walking around. These people are alive. And you know what? Really reading these, our God is in the business of total and complete transformation in our lives. Not just a little bit alive, totally alive. And God today, because of what Jesus did and because Jesus rose physically from the dead and saved us, actually today we can say, do you know what, God? You can totally, immediately transform my life. Fact. We, you can do that. If you can raise someone from the dead, not just a little bit, but completely, then what can you do in my life, God? What can you do in Sutton? What can you do in this community? Actually, from areas that seem really tough and perhaps really dry and barren and things are really hard work, gosh, you can transform that completely. And, you know, sometimes I, I read these stories about resurrection, and it's a bit of a challenge, I suspect, for, for many of us as well. It's not a common thing in our lives to see people move from being dead to being alive. It's, it's not an everyday thing, is it? So if I can ask, um, has anyone in this room ever seen someone move from being totally dead to totally alive? 
Put your hand up. I've, yeah. So two of us got our hands up. Three, four. So yeah, sometimes in life, you experience a situation where people move from being totally dead to totally alive. And for those of you who don't know, I'm a nurse and I work in a busy acute hospital. So the reason that I've come across these situations is where someone has had a cardiac arrest and they are dead. So they have no pulse, they are not breathing, they are dead. Not a little bit dead, they are dead. And through the techniques and skills and drugs and things that we've got, we can move them from being dead to being alive. Right? Now, if I understand that medically that's possible, so with a doctor, with a defibrillator to give electric shocks and a few drugs, I'm confident that someone can move from being dead to being alive. Why do we think it's so hard for God? Why do we think that is such a hard thing? Do you know, I was preparing this. I was just like, God, why don't we get that? If one doctor with a defibrillator and a shot of adrenaline can move somebody from death to life, how come we find it so hard to understand that God who created the universe and the stars in the sky can move somebody from death to life? Come on. We've got to understand that he's so big. If one guy with a defibrillator can do it, what can God do? And so we're going to just draw on a little bit about... um, I guess resuscitation, which is perhaps not a very nice topic to talk about, but actually it began to, for me, raise some parallels between what God can do to totally transform our lives in the same... uh, Now, this is an analogy. Um, You know, so I've been privileged as a nurse to to see some people move uh, from death to life. It doesn't actually happen very often. The chances of success are very low, actually. But there are some things um, that are important to think about. So when we start resuscitating someone who has died, they're not a little bit dead. All right. Before we start CPR, we make sure they are dead. They have no pulse or they are not breathing. All right. They're not a little bit dead. If they're still breathing or have a pulse, there are a series of things that we can do to help save their life. But that's not what I'm talking about today. I'm talking about when somebody has died. If we do nothing, they will still be dead. All right, so they have died. Our actions are only going to move them in one direction, which is from death to life. You're not going to make them more dead. They're already dead. All right? And there's always that thing, which is not so much about the sermon today, but just in general. People worry a little bit if they're having to do CPR on someone that they might do some harm or make them worse. They're already dead. You can't make it. There's no worse situation you you could make it. Unless you put yourself in danger. Uh, So if you're in that situation, please don't worry, you're going to make them worse. They're already dead. Um, So these people, if we do nothing, they will remain dead. And they will remain completely dead, not just a little bit dead. They will not have any life. They do not have any life in front of you. So there are two main areas, uh, two main types of cardiac arrest that we come across in the medical field. So anyone who's doing kind of A-level biology or science, anyone wants to go into medicine, then listen up. So the first most common type is called ventricular fibrillation, which is a very fancy word to say there's an electrical problem with the heart. So the heart isn't beating normally because the electrical activity has essentially had a short circuit. 
So the heart is in chaos. Instead of having a regular pattern where the electricity moves across the heart and causes it to beat, there's chaos. And the treatment for that is the defibrillation that you often see. So you see this very dramatized uh, TV thing. In the old days, they used to have two paddles that they'd rub together with gel. And then they'd hold them up with pride and say, stand clear. Uh, most, most now are automatic defibrillators, so there's little gel pads on the, on the chest. And what that's doing is delivering a high voltage electric shock to the heart, and it's trying to short circuit it back into a normal heart rhythm. So it's giving a high voltage shock to sort out the chaos that's happening in the, in the electrical activity. <laughs> and you know, defibrillation sometimes really does a job, actually. It's one of the most likely ways that we're going to get somebody back from death to life is early electrical shock treatment. So early defibrillation saves lives. And you know, I was, I was reading about this and I was thinking, do you know what? Sometimes in our lives, we can fail in a state of chaos. Spiritually, emotionally, physically. Actually, our life can feel so disorganized, deranged. We can't see a pattern. We can't see the plan. We're just in a state of chaos. And you know, God can totally transform that situation today. The power of God can totally transform that. And it resets the heart in a medical sense. And he can reset your heart, your life, your physical being, your emotions. By his involvement, he can move from that state of chaos that puts you in a place of death to being totally alive with order and structure and his plans and his word in your life. He can move you from chaos to life and his purposes for you. And you know, we know that the, he can do that because one of the, the verses in the Bible is John 10, 10. I have come that they may have life and have it to the full. Not just a little bit alive, fully alive. So maybe some of you feel today that you are in this state of chaos. You don't really know, I've got so many things going on and I've got this and I've got that. There's problems with my heart, my mind, my emotions, my job, my finances. God knows. God knows. And like we can defibrillate somebody's heart to reset it, God can work powerfully in your life to reset and put your life in his hands. Then the second type, or most common type of, of cardiac arrest that we come across is where there isn't a problem with the electrical activity in the heart, but there's a problem with the blood flow or with uh, loss or excess. And there's a few reasons that, that that can happen, and it basically causes the heart being unable to pump. So the electricity is working fine, but there's a problem that doesn't allow the heart to function. So the first reason that that can, that can happen is a lack of essential chemicals or elements. So most commonly it's things like someone's been deprived of oxygen, they've got too many uh, high levels of potassium or calcium or sodium. There's something biochemically that's abnormal. And that's important because it stops the cells of the heart from pumping. And if the cells aren't working, the heart can't pump and therefore you don't get blood flow. So a lack of essential chemicals or elements in your life can lead to damage. Without these essential elements, without oxygen, without the right levels of potassium or sodium, your heart depends on these. If you haven't got these and it's too low, your heart can't pump. So the electricity is working fine, but actually the cells aren't working. And you know, what about our spiritual lives? Again, reading about this, I was thinking, God, yeah, 
Actually, if we've got the lack of essential ingredients in our spiritual lives, actually we can end up with the same problems. So maybe we lack faith. Maybe fundamentally we've never got to the point that we've given our life to Jesus. And actually we haven't got that flow of life from him by making that first decision to belong to him. Maybe we've made that step, but actually over time we've lost the relationship with him. We've lost that connection. Uh, and that loss of connection is, is damaging us. It's keeping us distant. Maybe we've lost the conversation. Prayer. We're moving from talking about prayer as it is to talking about conversation. Maybe we've stopped connecting with God in that way. Maybe we've stopped reading the word. And you know, this tells us a lot of what God wants to say to us. When you read your Bible, God speaks to you through his Holy Spirit. So, so maybe you've gotten out of the habit of reading your Bible. Maybe you've gotten out of the habit of coming to church. Maybe you've got out of the habit and thinking, oh, God doesn't need me to, to come to church. I can just still have my faith on my own. You can, but flip is it hard work. Come on. And also, we're missing out if you're not here. If you're not connecting with us, then I'm missing out from the things that are going on in your life. Do you know what? Today, if Marina wasn't here, I reckon we'd all have lost out. Because that story of her faithfulness and her, her prayer and her uh, sustainability to stick with God's plan, I, I would be a, in a worse position today if you hadn't come. And I reckon that's true for all of us. Because that builds faith, it builds confidence in God's plans, and it reminds us that God is alive and active in people's lives. And so fellowship, yeah, you can stay at home and you can read your Bible, but you're gonna, we're going to miss out, and I reckon you're going to miss out as well. Uh, and also we look out for each other, don't we? If you're having a bad week, someone will build you up, encourage you. If I'm having a bad week, people do that to me. But also if somebody's rejoicing, got a new flat, then we all rejoice. So for me, the essential elements, sometimes we can, we can be missing out on, and, and that could lead to real problems with the normal functioning of your spiritual life. That actually then, God needs to reset. And God can totally transform those. And this is not a point of people thinking, oh yeah, I have terrible trouble with my prayer life. I never seem to get right. I always start off really well intended and then it fades away. This is not finger pointing. This is not, this is just us being us in front of God and saying, God, where are the elements in my life that you want to work in? Where are the bits that I find really hard? Because what we're saying is God can totally transform those. So it's not about you trying harder or working harder for something. It's about letting God step in and totally transform that. So it's not out of your own striving that your prayer life gets better. It's because he works in your life and it changes it. Then the next uh, thing that causes these biochemical imbalances is actually too much of some of these things. So if you have too much potassium or too much calcium, equally the heart can't pump. It needs the, the correct balance of these. And if you have too many of things, uh, these things, you get toxins building up in the tissues. The, the heart can't cope with it, actually. It's got a very fine balance, uh, and it stops working if you get too many of these things. So then I was thinking, gosh, what are these? What's this in spiritual terms? What's, how does that work? And, you know, it's not that we have too much prayer or too many times that we're reading the Word or too much fellowship. Actually, some of the things that can be toxic in our lives are things like bad attitudes, bitterness and unforgiveness. Oh, there's that thing that is in there. And it can become really toxic 
not just to your spiritual life, but to your emotional health, to your mental health, to your physical health even. Actually, if you hold on to bitterness, regret, and unforgiveness, it can build up to a toxic cycle in your life that really holds you back and keeps you in a place of not being completely alive for God. Self-centeredness can be the same. Where you're not God-focused, you're focusing on striving in your own life. You want to get better in your career. You want to get, and some of these things are well-intended. It's great to do well in your career. But actually, if your career becomes a thing that you're striving for, and it's not God you're striving for, then you're becoming self-centered. Apathy is a real struggle, because actually, apathy means, I'm not really interested. I'm not really bothered. And so actually, you then get in the cycle of being totally apathetic, perhaps at work, perhaps at church, perhaps in your personal life. Actually, apathy can be toxic in our lives. There are some obvious things that when somebody does have a cardiac arrest, we look at for, for you know, chemicals and elements that there's too many of. So we look at the potassium, we look at the sodium on the blood results, but we also look for toxins like drugs and alcohol. Now they are toxic in your life. Now they're not toxic on their own. Medical drugs that are used to support your, your healthy bodies uh, that are being prescribed by a doctor fair play. If you want to change them, you should speak to your doctor. We're not saying don't take your drugs, don't take your medicines. What we're saying is there are people that use illicit drugs or are using medication that perhaps is prescribed, but it's sustaining them. It's the thing that gets them up in the morning. The drugs that you're using are the things that they're motivated by. Same with alcohol. You might have a drink, drink of wine at night. It's fine. But when it's the thing you're getting up for, when it's the thing you want to come home to, when it's the thing that's sustaining you, that's keeping you going, when it's the thing you dream of that you can't live without, when it becomes like that, it's got a hold on your life. And that's not God-centered. Because what we want is lives that are centered on Him, not centered on the next fix. Whatever addiction it might be, it might be gambling, it might be something else. But addiction by nature is very self-serving. It's not about God. These can become really potent toxins and can really damage our lives. They can damage our spiritual lives, but they can also damage our emotional lives, our relationships, our friendships, and our work lives. And you know, Jesus can totally reverse and remove the effects of those in your life. Total transformation. Now, I don't know if anyone here struggles with some of those things, but Jesus can completely change that situation and transform you. Not a little bit, but a lot, all right? So he's not gonna move you from being a little bit self-centered or a little bit bitter, but to be completely alive. Because remember, John 10 says, I've come that they may have life and have it to the full, yeah. all right? When he wants to work in your life and to work in these areas, it's to bring you completely alive. If there's bitterness in your life, oh, it'll eat you up. If you've got an addiction, it'll eat you up. It'll do it slowly, perhaps, but it'll catch you, and it'll affect the rest of your life. So let me come on to the, the final thing, which is obstruction. So sometimes in cardiac arrest, there can be obstructions that can either cause lack of blood flow or lack of oxygen, and therefore the heart can't work. The breathing can't work. The lungs are affected. And the simple treatment is let's remove the obstruction. 
So if somebody's got something lodged in the airway, you've got a child choking, we all, you know, know to pop them over your knee and give them a big slap on the back. Remove the obstruction. The treatment for obstruction is to remove the obstruction. Oh, what about our spiritual lives? Treatment's the same. What's the obstruction that's there? Actually, sometimes we can deliberately withhold things from God. We can say, Lord, be the Lord of my life, except in that little bit that you're really not allowed into. I'm not, I'm not sharing that with you, God. I know it's there. I know it's, I'm not, you're not having an impact in that. That's my bit. And so we deliberately withhold God from some of those areas, or we think we do. We like to keep control over those things. And maybe we do that actually because sometimes those are bad experiences that have been really painful and are very hurtful. And to go to deal with them, we're a bit scared because actually we're worried it's going to bring back bad memories. It's going to bring back uh, regrets or bitterness. But we either want to be totally alive or not. Who wants to be a little bit alive? That's rubbish, you know? You don't want to be left, in the analogy, being in hospital a little bit alive. If you're going to move from death to something else, move to completely alive. So in our spiritual lives, if we've got obstructions, areas of pain, areas of distress, places that we just say, God, you are not going there, we're losing out. Because that's affecting the life flow of Jesus in our lives. That obstruction is impacting the way that we operate, the way that we operate physically. It might be affecting your mental health or your emotions, your relationships, but it'll be affecting your spiritual life. It's really hard for God to work through an obstruction. It's not that he can't, but come on. Why are you leaving obstruction there? You see a kid choking, you're not going to leave it there, are you? That's crazy stuff. You're going to remove it because it's going to be better for them to not be choking. Because if we don't fix it, it's going to be really bad. But yeah, we live with our obstructions sometimes, don't we? It's always been there, maybe. Maybe it's something that's been from your childhood, from your family history. It's always there. Perhaps it's in the background. Maybe no one else knows about it, actually. Maybe it's something so personal to you that you've never shared with anyone. But if God's not there, it's obstructing the flow of Jesus in your life. Let's move to being completely alive. Let's say, Jesus, actually, you can take away these obstructions, these things that have plagued me and plagued me and plagued me, the things that have always held me back from being completely into you. And again, John 10.10 says, I've come that you can have life. Have it to the full. Not just a little bit. So today, when we think about Easter, we celebrate Jesus' resurrection, that transformation from death to life. Not a little bit dead to a little bit alive, completely dead to totally alive. Jesus is interested today in total transformation in your life. That same move from death to life can happen in each one of our lives today. Not just a little bit alive, but totally alive. And as I was preparing this, I was actually making my dinner last night and God just pop something else in there. I, I get the feeling that sometimes when you, you say these things, there are some people that think, well, I've heard this sermon before. I've prayed for this thing, Jill, for years and years, and it's never changed. I've prayed for something to come my way, for something to be removed from my life, for changes in my family, whatever it is, it's never changed. God said last night, 
I am not limited by your experience of these things. He is not limited by whether you have seen someone move from death to life. It doesn't matter to him that only a few of us have ever seen that in our life. The facts remain. Jesus rose from the dead, from completely dead to totally alive. That is true. So whether we've experienced that yet or not, that doesn't limit God. He is not limited by whether or not that thing you've been praying about, that thing you've been pleading for, that thing you want out of your life, whether that's happened yet or not. We believe he can do it. Mate, if he can raise people from the dead, he can deal with that thing in your life. So I don't know where you're at today. Maybe for you it's the step to ask Jesus into your life, to be saved for the first time, to say, actually, Jesus, I trust you. I want to give my life to you. I want to move from being in a position of being dead to being completely alive in you. Maybe it's, as I've talked, you recognize some areas of imbalance, either by too little of something or too much of something else. Maybe you can see times where there are toxins building up in your spiritual life. Jesus can restore you today. He can restore you before you leave the building today. Maybe there's places of obstruction in your life, whether they've been there for a little while or a long while. Jesus can remove obstructions. He can raise people from the dead. He can deal with your issues today. Jesus is in the business of total transformation. And we've got proof of that today as we talk about Easter and we remember the resurrection. He went from being totally dead to completely alive. Remember, not just a little bit alive, completely alive.